Welcome back to Scratching the Surface, a horror movie podcast. My name is Justin, aka Money. And my name is Cody, aka Junes. And thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. We just want to, you know, again, say thank you to everyone participating and listening to these podcasts. Um, we are up on YouTube now, so go check out our channel. Um, I believe we just posted our most recent uh podcast there uh halloween 2018 michael myers um if you haven't checked that out go check it out that was a really really fun episode the halloween special me and june's uh definitely dove into that pretty hard so um we're excited to do that and we're excited to do this week's and it's going to be over the conjuring um initial thoughts just on hearing that title cody like because it definitely gets me excited Hearing the word "the conjuring" is is unsettling, and I remember when it came out. Money, it was it was a phenomenon at at the time. It was so widely successful, and I think so genuinely scary, and almost kind of modernized in a way for horror. That looking back on it now, I think, wow, what a what a great horror film! They did such a good job with it, and I hear the word conjuring. As a movie, I know you're getting quality here. And James Wan, the director, does a really good job with each scene throughout the movie. There's not a lot of downside throughout. So, yes, I would say unsettling and truly scary from both a possession standpoint and a jump scare standpoint. So that's my initial thought when you tell me what I think of The Conjuring. Yeah, hearing hearing The Conjuring just instant flashbacks to this movie of just being terrifying on edge and being really scared like actually feeling scared i feel like with a lot of horror movies it's slow burners or it's go 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 it's full throttle and you know to feel on edge and and truly truly scared is really hard to accomplish but um this movie is up there so um yeah we're gonna yeah, go ahead. When you say when you say the conjuring, and we'll touch on this, they were going to call it the Warren Files. Talk about the Warrens in a bit, but Ooh. I'm very, very glad they went with the title The Conjuring because it's way more effective from both a marketing standpoint and just going in knowing what you're gonna get from the movie. So I just wanted to mention that too. No, yeah, of course. So let's see. Let's just dive. Um we're gonna keep this five minutes here, 10 minutes, maybe spoiler free, just initial thoughts on the movie. And I'm going to start us off actually with the movie info or the synopsis, just to give anyone listening a a visual mental representation of this movie. So in 1970, paranormal investigators and demonologists, Lorraine and Ed Warren are summoned to the home of Carolyn and Roger Perrin. The parents and their five daughters have recently moved into a secluded farmhouse where supernatural presence has made itself known. Through the manifestations are relatively beginning at first, events soon escalate in horrifying fashion, especially after the Warrens discover the house's macabre history. Otherwise, just insane history of the recent generations of families and people that have lived there and what has happened. And we learn about that throughout the movie. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll obviously touch up on that and 
who has all been there previously. Um, but rated R, like Cody said, directed by James Wan, uh, director from Saw and like Insidious as well. Um, Other guy movies runs deep with with it. Dead Silence was a horror film from back in the early two thousands. He did Furious Seven, which I didn't realize. I knew he did Aquaman, which is kind of a fun one. And then Malignant, which have you seen that one? It's on HBO. That's a really good one, too. Not my favorite, but it's solid. It is solid. So he did that one as well. But yes, like you say, Insidious 1 and 2 was James Wan. And I'm really surprised just how much similarities I kind of noticed after rewatching The Conjuring and then thinking back to the Insidious movies. There is a lot of similar direction style and the 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 type of film lens that's used as well. Definitely a lot of things that you notice are are pretty close between the two. So I like that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So my, you know, keeping it spoiler free, my initial thoughts, this really honestly, I'd probably say like 75% of the time, I'd say a good three fourths of this movie, you're on edge. There's probably about a quarter of it where there's scenes and things going on where you can kind of just, drop your shoulders and relax and the other three forces holy shit like wow um but depicting you know this family and what they go through and the things that they have to admit to and just be open to you know to get help from ed and lorraine which we'll talk about soon is very hard for them at first but they eventually you know succumb to it and you know, realize they need help. Like there's a lot of things going on in this house. The history is insane with it. We we kind of figure that out in the second half. Um, you, you know, and with, it's got a runtime of an hour and 50 minutes, but damn, like every single part of this movie, just, it makes sense. It flows nicely. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you're on edge. I'd say three fourths of the time. And it's just incredible. Cause Again, it's based on real life events. If anyone listening didn't know that, which we'll cover soon, um, which just makes it a hell of a lot more scary. So, my initial thoughts. Um, but yeah, what what, you, what do you what do you think, Cody? So, for a a horror movie based on a true story like this, they really paid homage to the original paranormal investigators beautifully, and they hyped up this duo of these paranormal investigators and The Conjuring. And it gets you in this this awesome, exciting mood of seeing these these people go in and try to help this family out and sort of be their last their last salvation when it comes to to beating this demon. We've got a really cohesive story for a horror movie from start to end. Like you say, there really isn't a whole lot of downtime and it feels like the movie flies by because it's so enjoyable. We see a lot of genuinely good jump scares. They're not your typical horror trope jump scares. They're actually well thought out and perfectly timed, which in horror, we see a lot of just not well-timed jump scares. In The Conjuring, you don't have that. Everything is well thought out. We have decent characters that we can care about. We've got this full family. We've got the Warrens, which we also care about. They are genuine. They are trying to help these people out. And then we also have, like you said, a very, very deep history of hauntings on this land and in this house that run extremely deep and helps to just heighten the overall sense of dread that's just drowning the family and drowning the Warrens throughout this film. 
you are going to enjoy it. I, if you haven't seen it, I don't know how you haven't. It's possible that you have not. If not, go see it. It's such a good one. And I can only imagine just how good the movie theater experience was for this one. I'm very sad that I didn't have that experience, but that's okay. I'll I'll move on. You know, with being like a paranormal franchise, I get the hate kind of behind how these paranormal movies have become today. They're very, I'd say, predictable, just outright bad sometimes we you and i recently did an episode over the exorcist believer which didn't live up to the hype um and you take that compared to this like you you know the difference so it's on its this franchise is on its own level this movie alone to me is is on its own level we're gonna dive into uh our reviews our scores our summaries And we'll also go off um, of Rotten Tomato scores, audience and critic score, things like that. And let's just dive into, you know, just some of the real life events that took there, the history of it, the land, uh, the generations, the the people in the 70s that moved in, which is, you know, the family based on this movie. So do you just, you know, we'll kind of go back and forth and just nitpick some stuff. But June, do you want to just kind of? give a little basis of you know the family in the house yeah i'll start with the family in the house we've got a family here we've got the parents i can't believe i think there was five kids four or five five daughters yep five daughters they're moving into this new house on on a farm in harrisville rhode island and they move into this house it's a fresh start uh the dad's got a, a tight run schedule in terms of his job so he's kind of on the go and there's a lot of parts in the movie that the mom is left at home alone with the with the children. So all of these family members are moving into the house. They're getting settled in. They've all got a bunch of different rooms. There's a lot of kids here. So you got to keep in mind, we've got Christine. We've got Cindy. We've got Andrea. We've got April. We've also got Nancy. So it's easy to lose track of which one's which throughout the movie the yeah. scenes are kind of dark as well so they're not always well lit and the scares are so good that you kind of forget about which character was in you the do scene. you really do <laughs> so those are all the daughters the mom carolyn uh played very well by lily taylor and then we've got roger as well the father who was played by ron livingston he did a fine job too he was really he was going through a lot of inner tor- turmoil seeing what was happening around the house and to his family I think he played that fear really genuinely. And for me, I was bought into his character very much so. And the, the all around cast, you really can't have a whole lot of complaints. I was I was so impressed by a few of those the scenes we got from the children as well, when they are trying to express moments of terror and their facial expressions are so spot on and so believable that it just helps you be in the moment even more so when you have some of those those really scary jump scares and and creepy moments. So yeah. All in all, the whole cast, the whole family is easy to to buy into and invest in and to enjoy watching their story play out throughout the conjuring. Yeah. The the characters were insane. Not a huge cast, but the parent family alone, like each and every person had a role executed perfectly in my opinion a lot of horror movies kids they don't like they don't 
portray stuff good as yeah. far as emotions, the way, like what they're supposed to do, how to make things look natural. These kids, if this happened in real life, like to me, or if I had a family, like, and like that happened, oh my gosh, like these kids portrayed it perfectly. And Lily Taylor as Carolyn, holy cow, just her whole character alone, incredible. Um, so, um, but going back to kind of the real life events, it was originally known as the Arnold estate, I believe. And many generations came through going all the way back to the 1680s. And in uh, 1971, the parent family bought the house um, from the previous owner, I believe just from the bank at auction. And we, we learned that in the movie because they didn't, as they, they said that because they didn't know the previous owner. They had no idea of what was going on, who lived there. Again, just the, the history of it. They were completely um, oblivious to, to all of that in the beginning, which is crazy seriously. to think of because there's so much of that history that if you knew about it, there's no way in hell you're moving in there. Right, right. And by, I read, you know, reading and doing research, you know, by the time the parent family moved out, they basically described it as a legit portal disguised as a farmhouse. Wow. And for anyone that didn't know, and I just told Junes this before we started, like King Philip's war was fought on that property back in 1674 to 1676. It was the bloodiest and most gruesome war fought in American history, like per capita in America at the time. So it it's still true to this date. So going all the way back then, just you can imagine how it stigmatizes that property that land the spirits mm -hmm. still roam there the the core ones that have always been there from the beginning and just every you know all those soldiers and everything that that fought there um and if you want to just dive into Bathsheba because that is like the main villain of this movie Bathsheba um for anyone listening it's the main villain and then there's some other ones that we learn about but Junes if you just kind of want to touch up just on her and, and kind of keep it general, that'd be good. Yeah. So you mentioned that that war that took place on that, that land, this actual house, our main setting in the conjuring was built in 1863 by Jetson Sherman, who married Bathsheba, who turns out was related to Marytown Eastie, one of the women accused of witchcraft and hanged in 1692. So there's already a little bit of a demonic spirit that is in, in, in the presence of Bathsheba. And after marrying Jetson, they have a baby. This baby was seven days old. Jetson caught Bathsheba sacrificing the baby in front of the fireplace. After that, Bathsheba ran out to the tree out front, climbed it and proclaimed love to Satan and curse anyone who took her land. So Bathsheba is a huge entity in this movie. We will talk about her quite a bit. I loved Bathsheba in this. I thought Bathsheba was, was scary as hell. Oh, the one of the scariest things to me to this date, as far as a horror movie goes in, in any subgenre of horror, like by far, by far. But yeah, Bathsheba killing her like seven day old son infant literally to 
to use your gift as a woman on this earth to have kids and then to look at God and be like, you know what, F you, I'm going to mm-hmm. birth it, but I'm going to kill it seven days later. So interesting twist, like, and then to kill it, curse the land and literally hang yourself for anyone moving in as the generations go on. Like, I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. Like, I'm going to terrorize you, basically. So you hear that story and you move into that crazy. house that you know about, it, you're going to be, you're going to be checking your corners every second of the day, it's, every second it's of the insane. day. And then so. there was a lot of other deaths on this land. We can get into that more as we go on here. But again, just playing on the fact that there's a very rich history in terms of, of demonic spirits. Yes. And we have Ed and Lorraine Warren, literally the most famous ghost hunters to this date, um, taking part in thousands of investigations, paranormal activity, uh, you know, cases. They even have their own museum that's standing today where, uh, well, first off, both of them are passed. Um, Ed died first, I think 2009, and Lorraine yep. was kind of recent, handful of years ago. Um, so she lived you know, a bit longer and still tar- took part in actual investigations still, which is, which is crazy. Just shows the dedication and just what she was meant to do on this earth. Um, and she was actually a medium. And believe if you believe it or don't, um, I mean, it's hard to tell, but, you know, we don't want to get into that. It's just that's what, you know, she proclaimed herself as. And that's what you see in this movie a lot. And it gets pretty dark. The things, you know, she's able, you know, to walk in a house and just see almost what's there immediately, you know, making its presence known. Um, But I mean, what do you what do you think of Ed and Lorraine? Because being that famous and just having gifts and to just wanting to help people is, is pretty incredible in my opinion. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Horror movies have been around for a while. The idea of the horror genre has existed for, for easily a century. And I think more so in the actual real life right here in our world, I think this couple was one of the most <clears throat> monumental when it comes to paranormal investigations they like you said thousands of cases they they claim to have to have done i think even 10,000 was a few of the sites that i read up on which is insane. absolutely insane to think of them going to 10,000 different people and helping them through these situations and i think that just goes to show during that time period whether you think it's real or not there was something going on in the country and there was this almost paranoia of spirits and demons possessing your house possessing items and possessing humans and i think this was a huge phenomenon at that time and whether the the warrens played on that and and kind of cashed out or not that's Mm -hmm. for for you to say the viewers but believe what you want to believe they definitely were a legitimate duo and they did all these investigations and they claim to their deaths that every single thing they wrote down in their books, their memoirs, it was all true. Yes. So that take take that with a grain of salt, but believe what you want to believe. They literally took it to the grave. Like everything yep. they believed on, believed in, like you can't, you know, why I don't know why anyone would make that up, but <laughs> it's not for me to judge. It's not for me to speak on them. But yeah, 
Um, and they were evidently pretty genuine people. They were they were kind. They were easygoing. They were likable. So I think that gives a little more, I would say, believability to their story. If these are actually decent people, you wouldn't think that they're trying to to take advantage of these these folks. You would hope no, that their intentions and, are are good. And they were, the, I believe, in they the were. Movie in the well, not in the movie, but in real life, like uh, the dad actually. Um, Roger actually kicked Ed and Lorraine out after, you know, they were kind of taking part in the seance because it was like hurting the family so bad and stuff was getting so like things were turning so bad. He's like, just get out, leave. You're like, you're making it worse. So he actually like kicked him out at one point in real life. Wasn't depicted in the movie. Um, and that's one thing, like, I'll just say, I won't get into cause it's a lot, but like the real life events are, Diff or like the movie depicts things in a certain way and real life events that occurred there's a lot more that happened in real life that wasn't portrayed or wasn't portrayed correctly in the conjuring movie um and if i i i recommend doing your own research because this movie is i think an investment like it's that good to where if i watched it for the first time i would want to research it on my own i'd want to like look stuff up just because of the real life events and just you get to see like what the hell is all this like the movie and then you just research and it's like holy cow Dude. and then you the, the things you can dive into in the past you can take just insane their stories made waves they inspired the amityville horror they were on that case the haunting in connecticut mm -hmm. had that england haunting as well some of these stories are almost too good to be true but God, if if there were any bits and pieces that were, you're thinking, wow, I can't believe that could actually happen. And and we played on the idea that it heightens the the level of of fright that you have in this film. Right. Um, but do you just kind of want to you know dive right into to the movie now? I think it's about that time where. You know. Unless you've got something else you want to say about the Warrens, I think I'm good. I don't want to, like you said, read it up, research as much as you want. You'll see both sides. There was quite a few articles I was reading that were very anti-Warrens. And then some of them that were a little bit more on the Warrens side. So it it's something that you can re research on your own for sure. Right. So to open up, the movie actually starts with Annabelle, the haunt, like most famous haunted doll in the world. And there's a couple of girls and a guy explaining kind of the history of it a bit, uh, which I believe back in like 1968 is when it started. Um, and these girls actually got in touch with the medium. Uh, Annabelle Higgins, who is actually a real person, died. And the girls uh, had a medium basically giving permission for Annabelle to go into the doll, hence the Annabelle doll. Um, and Ed and Lorraine actually do a really good job of like explaining that in the terms and like things we kind of just learned throughout watching this. Um, cause they are, you know, educators. So they even, you know, they host a lot of things, they teach people things. Um, and this doll just starts playing tricks on them. Annabelle's just like moving around, leaving notes, like miss me yet, like messing up a room, like almost looks like blood on the walls and stuff, but basically just terrorizing these girls and they end up throwing it 
in a dumpster and it eventually comes back again, leaves miss me notes. And basically from what I learned and what they said in the movie, like the doll was used as a conduit to get inside of the girls and it's an inhuman entity or demon. And they use the word demon a lot. Um, but man, that, that, that opening scene was just, man, this movie, just everything about it. And I'm going to keep saying it, but that opening scene, it looked like that hard knocks on the door and stuff too. Woo, it gets you. It does. And so we have Ed and the rain, they are interviewing, I believe it was, it was Debbie and Camilla. And then I think one of the boyfriends was sitting there too in yeah. that apartment in those opening scenes. And Ed and Lorraine were saying demons never walked the earth and they don't possess, they don't mean to possess items or, or a doll. What they're trying to do is get closer to the humans so that they can possess the humans because they never walk the earth as a human. So I love that scene with Ed and Lorraine explaining that to them. You're not dealing with some regular spirit of a, a person that passed away because that was the assumption is that Annabelle Higgins was the real spirit that was taking over the doll. It wasn't even Annabelle Higgins. The demon was lying to get to the doll and then to get to the humans, which I was very surprised by because after rewatching it, I wouldn't have, I would not have caught that. No, no. And to my knowledge too, even like demons are just like portrayed as like trickster spirits. They get you to believe one thing when it's a lie and they will do anything to get India and basically lie right to your face and try to make you feel as vulnerable as possible. Um, but yes, I love that opening scene because it kickstarts kind of the franchise later with Annabelle and just this whole franchise. Ha and it, it things like that happen later on with like the nun and other, you know, we get introduced to other things which are in later movies. So very, very cool by them. So yeah, um, it, it, it ties in directly with Annabelle. Debbie received the doll from one of her, I think it was her aunt, as a gift for her time as a nursing student. So that doll obviously is connected to the Annabelle movies. So that's where that main connection lies there. We don't get to hear about, about it much in those opening scenes. You kind of have to read up on it. You obviously have to watch Annabelle too to understand the connection. But that's how they got the doll in the first place. And then you you explained well all of the weird things that were happening in that apartment that kind of got them to contact the Warrens for help. Yeah, yeah. And the next scene we get is actually Ed and Lorraine, you know, in a public session. I don't know where this one was held. They do a couple of these throughout the movie. And the second or third one, I think, I think it's just the second. I think they only do two. Is actually, they, they give the location of the second one, but this first one, um, don't know where it's at, but they're basically just educating like the public. I think it's just people that can like sign up for these ses basically sessions and they are actually just teaching like demonology and basically answering people's questions. You know, they actually show, um, exorcisms they've done cases and investigations they've worked on where, you know, they're open about it and, and people and this first one that they're doing it about is actually about Annabelle and you know you have these young people you know the age range is endless but like mainly it's a younger crowd it looks like and everyone's like they're like questions and like everyone just raises their hands because it's it's just crazy like 
That so, must have been something that they did a lot in the 70s and 80s was was give these lectures at, at lecture halls to try to explain what they do and try to make people aware of these types of entities that are out there. So yes, they must have done that quite a bit in the 70s and 80s. I I would have to imagine, yeah, like the things they learned and the experiences they like, dude, <laughs> it would be crazy. Yeah, and and, and it, I thought it built up the hype for this this paranormal duo so well and it gets you excited for the rest of the movie it helps you invest in these two characters and it, it just gets you excited overall yeah lorraine is a clairvoyant she sees things she can experience things that others can't she has this almost sense of these ghosts and spirits that other people just simply cannot see and then you have ed who is a sort of self-certified i should say demonologist so he knows all the the lingo the terminology and the history of, of different demons and I would say he's probably the the main speaker of this duo that kind of takes takes over at these lecture halls and is really the the talker of the two. Yeah, he's like the talker and but he gives he you know we hear it from him he gives like all the credit to Lorraine. Yes, 100%. Um, just what she can do. And he knows so. the toll it takes on her too, so he's very aware of what she's going through whenever they have these cases. Right. So talking about the family now we're actually able to meet the parents and we get a really nice scene of them moving in to the conjuring house their new house they just bought and you get to meet the five kids uh you know the mom and dad and it's a it's a pretty good scene and just that you know they kind of make it friendly but like watching this i'm like dude that is a terrifying house like the the scenes and like cuts they have like old old house do not like it i'm not a fan yes and i just want to say before that the opening title for the conjuring was freaking chef's kiss it was so good and the transition from the title is perfect because we've got this scroll up screen explaining ed and lorraine warren and then we've got the big bold yellow text of the conjuring we've got the very demented music in the background the screen keeps sliding up we have a beautiful transition to the inside of the house looking out the window and seeing the family pulling up in their car that was so well done i thought that was freaking awesome i just wanted to to touch on that yes. and i also love the scenes of them moving in they had a really good soundtrack from 1968 by the zombies tell it to me slowly that was a fantastic song to have there because it gives you a little bit of a vibrant 70s vibe and it, it kind of puts you in a good mood kind of lets your guard down a little bit after that freaky ass title screen so i really love that scene all around like you said you get the whole family kind of moving in getting their stuff put in the rooms and the setting the setting is just phenomenal it's impeccably old yet just structurally sound enough for a family to live in yeah it's just you know it's like a cozy kind of comfy rule area and it's just doesn't seem like it's that far out of the way of anything but just enough to make it that much more creepier so we get introduced to them like i said and we actually get to meet sadie the family dog um who doesn't live very long let's just <laughs> let's just say that um you see april playing with sadie a lot and just that that scene where they're moving in and sadie's just whimpering not doesn't want to come in the house uh Roger even grabs a collar of Sadie and like, like, come on, like, let's go and not even won't budge. So very, very cool. Like 
it's amazing and like again like if you want to believe it or not but like animals like can i feel like sense that so like putting that in the movie was pretty interesting they can sense cancer why why not sense demonic presence presences with, without yeah right I, I agree and i love that too i think having the dog kind of knowing that something's up lets you know as the audience that okay this house has got something something weird within and i also want to touch on a on a scene there where we have april out by the tree yes she found this circus music box we don't get a jump scare right away with that but they use this creepy and and the director used this multiple times there's this really slow zoom in angle that he has on some of these scenes and then zoom outs that he i thought he used really well and they were very effective they kind of built up a a really good creepy vibe so you get mm-hmm. a scene with April by the tree. You don't have a jump scare, but it just lets you know that something is coming here soon. And then it gets us ready as the audience. I like how, honestly, I like how there's not a jump scare because it does like it foreshadows that so much. It's, you know, at the end of the movie, they actually put that in their museum. It's used throughout the entirety of the movie and it's associated with another character that has passed there um, who we'll talk about. So love that I, I just you know good slow burner into it but <laughs> it gets insane pretty soon um but immediately like following that too we get introduced to the clap game and it's literally a game of hide and seek and someone's blindfolded and the way to find people is they get three opportunities to clap so the seeker it can say clap they clap they could do that two more times for a total of three times and by the third time hopefully you're close to someone and can like reach out and touch them and find them and that's how you'd win the game and uh i believe it's nancy who uh accidentally breaks what is to the basement entrance which was boarded up and even the parents the parents are like why why would they board it up you know if you have an actual like cellar in a basement it's almost like hidden because it's, you know, you have to, in the movie, you can see you have to open a door and then it's just almost looks like a closet. And you, I feel like you'd never know there'd be a basement there, even if they boarded it up. Like they did a great job hiding it. And when they broke it, everyone kind of like tattletales and like freaks out. Yeah. And then Roger, you know, and Carolyn come over and they're like, oh, like didn't know this was here. Why did they board it up? And then he's like, well, I'll just have to check on it in the morning. So they don't really worry about it. It's nothing too eyebrow raising so um it's it's very cool scene to what is later portrayed with this you know clap game later in the movie yeah this hide and seek clap game we see this throughout the movie and those scenes Mm -hmm. are always really freaking good they're really good and to touch on the the setting that we have this house like we said it's 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 perfectly old yet structurally sound enough to live in and i also love that everything has minimal, very minimal lighting. So you can only see so much, no matter whether they're walking through the hall, the kitchen, the upstairs. So you're constantly wondering what is lurking in the corners. I love that they they do that and they have the minimal lighting. It just heightens the, the, sense, of, the sense of what's there, being scared. I love that. They did a great job with it. And like I said, we see it throughout the movie. So very effective. Yeah, one thing I forgot to add too with that scene, the basement, Roger actually goes down to investigate it yep. with matches 
And when he leaves, he leaves those box of matches on the steps, again, foreshadowing another event that's going to come up. So just wanted to add that in there. Um, very, very cool with those those matches with what's going to come up. Yes, and then we have a nice, we have a nice at the end of the night, another good zoom out by the old tree at the pond. So we've got the the old tree out front. We've got this little pond out front as well. And then you've got the main house. I believe Sadie also, the dog, does die. I think they find her the next morning. April does. Yep. yep. April finds her out, out on the side of the house dead. So that's a big, a big scare there too for the family. Like what in the hell is going on? Why is her dog just dead? The the first one of the yeah. first mornings we're here. Yeah. And you know, if I were them putting two to two together, like she doesn't want to come in and then she's like dead the next day. It's like, what's going on? Like, a lot. Uh, like it'd be impossible to tell, but it's like you'd think it'd be like it'd put you on edge a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh kind of soon after that we see Carolyn's bruises to begin, and we see a lot of these throughout the movie. Um they look nasty too. Like these are huge. They're like, you know, they're like fist size, if anyone can imagine that. And she doesn't think much of it. Yeah. And, you know, they keep saying, you know, throughout this movie, how the girls are cold, everyone's cold and it's, it's just freezing. And there's different parts of the house that actually are colder than the others. Hence an entity or something in there with them. uh, Throughout this movie. And, Smelling bad odors is another yes, thing. Yes, bad too. odors. Yep. So, I don't, did you know that was a thing, Cody? Like bad odors is can be a sign of an actual presence there. Yeah, and the Warrens actually. Yeah, they mentioned that later on in the movie that that's one of the main indicators of of a demonic presence is almost a rotting smell within the yeah. house or wherever you're located at. So that's a very good indicator. Yeah, the toilets don't work. It's really cold. So this house, there's there's just something up with it that is off. And the family is starting to kind of notice these things more and more as the, the movie goes on. And one big problem that they have that they keep bringing up is furnace issues. Mm-hmm. This freaking furnace doesn't work. So why? I don't know that Roger is like a little, I mean, he's a hands-on guy. He fixes cars and things like that. And he, being out on a farm, you're hands-on in general. So. He's always, it seems like they're always like fixing it or something. So mm-hmm. um we also they, see they also, also notice see the, that the clocks stop at 307. So keep that. That's in mind. exactly what I had too yep. next. Uh yep. 307. So why 307? Every clock in that house, they mention it every single thing that's timed or have a t- you know 307. So um let's see. So I I had noted too in like Monroe, Connecticut. Now we actually see the Warrens base, you know, their museum and haunted items. Um, what did you think of that scene? Just initial thoughts, like, holy cow, I, you know, it's insane. Yeah. So they have a journalist that stops by and he's asking them some questions about, about the work that they do. And again, that helps to to build up this idea of this, this paranormal fighting couple of Ed and Lorraine and we get a look at their almost occult museum of items they've collected throughout the past from the different cases they have worked on. And when we are in that room, you feel the dread within and you feel that these items do truly contain something demonic, some kind of presence within them. These 
items act as almost a some kind of item that can contain these spirits, though they are not nullified. These spirits can still get out. And having them in one location is, like Ed says, keeping the genie in the bottle, also like keeping guns off of the street. So I love those lines, yes. and I enjoyed those scenes as well. I did too. It, it just seeing it, it just gives you an eerie feeling. And he actually educates that. Would you say he was a journalist? Yep, I think a journalist stopped by to ask him some questions. Yeah, he, so he he does a pretty good job educating him. And uh, we actually see for the first time too, Judy kind of creeping around in there there's a cool pov shot that they do where like yeah. you're almost like her peeking and then like you go back so he's like wait a minute like <laughs> and he finds her and he's like don't ever come in this room again and again foreshadowing she'll be in there later in the movie and you know kind of getting messed with with some evil so yeah um, we we get to see the annabelle case too and there yeah as well. i forgot to mention that Good point. So creepy. I love it. You got the the case with the, the text on the front saying positively do not open. I love that. And that was actually made. That sign was made by Ed. Act like they keep it in the movie. He, that's a real life thing that he made. It's there today. And, you know, just to recap this, you know, scene, this museum does stand in real life today. Um, the history, there like offices in there, a lot of recordings and stuff like that, paperwork, and obviously all the haunted items to go with it. Is and it open to the, the public? Doll. I can't remember can, if it's open to the public or not. I think you can book a tour, oh. but I don't know who's all allowed in there and what. Um, I'm sure a lot of people just get denied, uh, you know, access to it. I know the Conjuring House itself, you can take tours of and book nights and stuff like that but as far as that museum i have i have no idea i, I should look up on that i can't imagine being in that room oh my god that, that just imagine well, sleeping, annabelle, sleeping annabelle's overnight. in there too yeah, I know. annabelle right there oh. i think she's like almost centered because of how just famous it is but ugh. we get Maybe. now go one of the yeah we get one of the we get introduced to you know a lot of these scenes that kind of reoccur but kids and their legs getting yanked <laughs> while sleeping um i can't remember which kid first experiences it um but basically you know she's sleeping and you just see this tug on, on her leg and uh rogers actually he was sleeping i think he was just doing like paperwork or he stayed up late and yep. you know he's kind of got a bottle or a little glass of whiskey next to him so he was drinking just passed out and he, he wakes up to these noises and creaks and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a scene there too, like the door opening on its own, hearing creaks, thumping and thuds. And he's just super on edge here. And he's going up the stairs to just meet Andrea, like standing there. That was kind of like a, even with no music or anything or sounds, it's, it almost, it's like a jump scare. Cause it pans like right to her, which I thought was really cool. And basically she just tells, you know, Roger, uh, her sister's sleepwalking again. I believe it. Yeah. Cindy was, she's sleepwalking and she's bumping her head on an old antique armoire, which I looked up is a freestanding closet, essentially in one of the bedrooms. So then before that, like you said, the tugs, we see that frequently in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I believe the one that got tugged the first night was Christine. And she was in the same room with Nancy. The first tug is minimal. She 
hardly notices it. I think she kind of goes back to bed for the most part, but it lets us know that there's definitely something, something there. And we just don't know what it is. Oh yeah. Very, very cool. How they kind of introduce these things subtly. Like I said, it's almost like a slow burner, but that's, that's the give and pull with this, these types of movies like paranormal, like, yeah, it's going to start off slow. You get the bulk of it in the second half or at the end, but this movie, it just, man, everything, everything going on. It's, it's amazing. Um, so that was that. And we actually see more bruises on Carolyn and a bird actually hits the window just out of nowhere, breaks its neck. There's so many things, you know, going on now, like subtly, but there's a lot going on. And it just seems like no one, like no one just seems to confront anything. No one, you know, maybe the sisters talk to each other like, oh, like I felt, was this you? Like, or, you know, maybe the next morning or something like that throughout the day. But we never see, I feel like enough interactions of that or anything. Um, We only see it when it gets really bad, obviously. But I wish there was a little more give and take with maybe getting out of bed more, checking up on things, or, like, going exploring a little bit, maybe. But I understand, like, dude, if that happened to me, I would, <laughs> I'd be, you know, if I was their age, hide, legit hiding under the covers. So, can't blame they, them. They acknowledged those things happened, but they didn't really, yeah, they didn't take action on it, like you say. So, they, they were aware uh, of it, but they didn't do anything with it. They were just assuming, you know, that's just, an in, that's just a coincidence there. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> right. Now, I believe we actually get a scene with April talking to her imaginary friend. And with dude, I'm going to keep, I'll say it and I'll keep saying it. These scenes just roll together so good. That's one thing this movie does well. Um, It's like one thing happens and then we get a scene with like another kid. And in this case, it's April. And she's talking with her imaginary friend, Rory. And while it may sound imaginary, this was actually a real person. And Carolyn actually is the one that checks up on her and she tries actually talking with him with that circus music box that you mentioned earlier, Cody. Yeah, that's a good scene. And I I also think that in this scene, I can't remember if she sees anything in the spiral mirror within that circus music box. I don't think she does. I think we end up having April kind of move behind the mirror that scares Carolyn. It kind of scares us too. She jump scares her own mom. (laughs) It's so when I when I was watching that with my rewatch, it was really I liked how they did that because now with Carolyn like walking in on April, like talking, there's no one there. She's like, Oh, you can talk to him through this. She doesn't see anything. And you know, while April jump scares her, she's like, Oh, this is all just made up. Like she's just having fun mm-hmm. while yet it's real. Like it's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna bite her in the butt later. So immediately following that, hide and clap again. This time with April. And this to me, dude, is like up there with, you know, one of the creepier scenes of the movie. Um, do you do you want to explain it? Yeah, it so they're unfolds? they're doing hide and clap again. Carolyn's looking for April, and she ends up wandering into one of the rooms that has that standing closet. And she hears the clap from the closet. She goes in, she checks the closet, she knows where that sound came from. It's gotta be from inside this closet. So she opens it up, and as she's kind of feeling in, she hears April yell out from the other room and kind of laughing at her mom that she couldn't find her, that she was in the wrong spot. 
And even before that, Carolyn hears the clap right by the closet. When she's in the closet, she hears it. It's right there. And then the daughter, April, comes into the room and Carolyn's sitting there like, what in the world? I know I heard something coming from this closet. That was so well done and very creepy. I loved it. That the visual of those hands, like you could tell they're like adult yep. hands. These aren't kid hands or arms. Like you actually get to see the forearm and a part of like the elbows. These are not kids. This is like a adult something. So ugh, it's just, it's, I, it's creepy. And it's like, yeah, like you said, to be in the same room, you know, it's right there. I think she She's, could even hear breathing. I think she heard yeah. breathing even coming from the closet. She so did that, say that. Oh my God. This for her in that moment, you've got to be thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on here? You, yeah. you can acknowledge that being there. And eventually you got to take action because there's something, there's something going on. Yeah. I would just, Oh, like I have my own common sense, but in the movie, like if you don't do something or like, uh, good luck. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. know. I don't know. Um, we get introduced more now with Roger and he actually, uh, I believe he, I don't know if it's from the company he works for, if it's his, but he, there's a semi truck outside and he kind of gets a gig with this, you know, company or contract or something. Um, basically where I think he's got to go down to, uh, Florida, I think. And it's like a week turnaround, he says, and he's got to start tomorrow. And, Something I didn't really mention well earlier, like the character development, at least like, you know, you get to see them move in. These kids are kind of struggling. Um, some are liking it. You know, the the oldest doesn't. And it's it takes a toll on on certain people. And, you know, everyone's just trying to come together. They're trying to make this work. And we learn that they're actually not in the best shape financially wise. And that's actually why in real life they couldn't move out earlier they had to wait till they were more secure to actually be like okay like we we can afford a different place get, let's get the hell out of here like they couldn't do that right away and i'm assuming like with roger in the movie getting that job was was huge but finding the right thing he wanted to do not so easy so just just wanted to throw that out there as well yeah it goes to show that the family is just trying to make ends meet and it lets us know that we're kind of stuck here we know something's going on as the audience, but we know that this family is stuck here and they're going to have to go through it. They're going to experience some weird things and you want them to be able to get out. But like you say, they they simply can't. And right. with Roger being gone for a week, I think it was like a week turnaround. Mm -hmm. You know that there's going to be a lot of moments here where it's just the mom and the kids. And we've already seen the mom having some weird experiences. So that is definitely worrying for the family. And I love that they give us those little scenes and that little bit of character development, because like you said, they're trying to just get by. They're trying to provide for the kids. They're just kind of stuck here. There's not a whole lot they can do. Yeah. They're like literally forced into it. Like it was just a decision they had to make. And immediately following after that, again, another insane scene. We actually see an intense scene uh, with like a shadow man figure, if you will. Uh, with Christine and, and Nancy in their room and Christine gets her leg pulled. She wakes up, she sits up and you see uh, the door actually move. And she's it's in the movie. You can't, you don't see anyone. It's pitch darkness behind this door, but she sees something and Nancy wakes up and she's like, what? And she's like, there's someone behind the door. And she's just like freaking out. And Nancy gets up, stands like right 
right where it's at and she's like it's right behind you and the door dude just slams shut and it's such a loud jump scare and it's like you kind of knew it was coming but it's like it's so loud and it still gets me every time but it's so they freak out and they're just terrified roger runs up the stairs get a great scene from christine a shot where she's like i think they had it in one of the trailers too where she's just crying and like screaming so emotional it was portrayed so good and again these kids just did a phenomenal job yeah they played it so well and really just an unnerving scene you you can see she is absolutely convinced there is something there and whether we see it or they see it or not she's not just acting there i like that that is believable for nancy nancy's in the room in the other bed she's standing there thinking the same thing like oh my god like what is christine looking at and then the door slamming just further solidifies the fact that there's something in there great yeah. freaking scene great scene yeah and we get to see more now of like actually ed and lorraine showing people how and explaining how most things have a rational explanation like if you think you're hearing something or if you think your place is haunted there's probably just something going on with your house like you know internally or the you know mechanisms of maybe something's breaking or you're just hearing wind or you know natural creaks or boards things like that and they actually have a really good scene too where like they debunk a couple's uh kind of ghost terror moment they're like oh that, that's the noise and he's like nope this is just the wind the moisture and the boards expands the boards or something and it's creating this creaky noise really really honestly cool because you kind of see that actually from ed there's a couple times where you know especially when we get to see Carolyn approach them after one of their like lectures, you know, saying, Hey, I need help. And he doesn't want to do it right away, but Lorraine pushes them into it. So thought that was really cool. Um, you get to, you know, kind of see the good and like, and eh, like, maybe I don't want to go take on this investigation right now. Like, so I thought that was interesting, but yeah. Yes. It shows that he's cognizant of, of, of Lorraine having these, these issues and, struggling with the fact that she is so in touch with these spirits and entities and he realizes that she is going through a lot with each of these cases and i also love the fact that they they also look for the more plausible explanations to these to these hauntings that these people think they're experiencing and it goes to show that these people do have integrity they don't just completely believe that it's always due to hauntings they're also right. looking for the rational explanations. So I, I do enjoy that scene that we get there with Ed and Lorraine explaining to them, hey, it's just the boards creaking. It's the, the water running in the pipes, those sorts of things. Exactly. Exactly. And we finally get to, which is one of my probably top two scenes in this movie, uh, Carolyn again playing. Well, she's actually not playing, but there's someone playing hide and clap with her. And she actually looks in the rooms. All the kids are to bed. Roger's gone. And she's hearing claps. Like someone is literally playing hide and clap with her. And she eventually gets to the basement because she looks down and she's like, okay. She's like, I'm going to lock anybody in here that's, you know, here. And as soon as she's shutting that door, something pushes her down the steps. Uh, and before that, she gets led to the basement, which is why now... She gets locked in the basement. A ball actually gets thrown across the room while she's just like 
recuperating and like recovering from literally falling down a flight of steps. Terrifying. And she runs up the steps and those matches that we talked about earlier come into play that Roger used when they first investigated the basement and discovering it. Uh, She lights one up. Nothing happens. She's just trying to get a sense of the room. Lights another one up and these two hands just come literally. It's like her left shoulder in the movie over her shoulder and they clap twice and it blows out the match and it's just it's literally like the scariest thing ever like i don't know how else to explain it it's it's iconic it's up there with some of the scariest scenes that i've seen in horror it's so creative you've never really seen anything like that and to have that jump scare timed as impeccably well as it as it was Oh, it just drove home for a good scare. And, and I freaking loved it. Everything leading up to her getting to the basement was really good, too. There was a huge shatter she heard before that from one of the the, the pictures of the family dropping down from the wall by the stairs. So yes. that was a great jump scare. You're just so freaking on edge. The clocks were chiming at that time, too. Very, very unsettling scenes and freaking iconic, like I said. It's like, again, like every one thing happens and then another thing happens and then another thing happens. And then like, dude, it's every scene. Something's like at this point, it's, it's something happening in every scene, little or big, big moments like that jump scare with the clap game, but like, or hide and clap. It's, it's something. So that's why I said like literally 75% of this movie, you're on edge. Like it's, it's insane. The minimal Uh, lighting, the, the pan shots of seeing basically every single room at a single time and wondering what's lurking. They, they just did it so freaking well. I, I just, I can't get over it. Yeah. So this is a really cool part of the movie. We actually get to learn like the process of getting possessed from actually Ed and Lorraine. They're at a college and, you know, doing their lecture and they explain, uh, you know, what happens when you're experiencing these things basically so it's infestation oppression and then possession so infestation and you can correct me if i'm wrong at any point but infestation is when you first start hearing stuff like thuds knocks creaks uh, maybe something fell or you you know hear something and you go in the other room and you find something falling over anything little thing like that and then oppression is when you're almost like you're at your most vulnerable, you know, state of mind, physically, mentally. You're almost getting targeted by the by you're the demonic presence. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're you're just so vulnerable, so much is happening. And when you're that vulnerable, that's when the possession comes in. So really, you know, three stages there, which I thought was really And who would we say scene. who would we say is the most susceptible so far? Uh Carolyn. Yep, the bruises. Yeah. She's taking meds. She's clearly clearly a little bit distraught, especially after after the clap, yeah. the hide and seek game that we just had in the earlier scenes, and then the also the clap as well by the the cellar stairs. So she is by far the most susceptible. We see that. Does she know that? Maybe not, but she's definitely struggling here. And you sum those those three points beautifully. And they have some really creepy shots at that lecture at the university where they're showing one of their past exorcisms. And I think for us, we are assuming that this was the exorcism that really took a toll on Lorraine and is one of the reasons that she was struggling 
getting back into paranormal investigations and was making her a little bit more hesitant. And those exorcism scenes that they have on their reel at the university are just so disturbing. We see the person that is possessed. He's got his eyes rolled up. He's just absolutely out of this world. And Ed even says that he is a French Canadian farmer in those scenes in that film they're playing. Yet he was speaking Latin fluently and he was even speaking it backwards at times. So that just plays on the fact of how terrifying these possessions can be and just how tough of, a, of an experience it can be for Ed and Lorraine. And it helps build on the fact that Lorraine is struggling with it. Yeah, he was, I think also they said crying blood and then an upside down cross mm -hmm. appeared in his lower abdomen area. And that's when he like jump scared Lorraine uh, right after that. And it, like you said, it freaked her the hell yep. out. And she's, and Ed said, she saw something that took a huge piece mentioned earlier. You said, this is something like with Lorraine, it's like, she, you know, can see stuff, but it takes a toll on her. It takes one little piece at a time. And it's like death by a thousand arrows um, or a thousand cuts. Cause you eventually, you know, you bleed out or, you know, it's just takes a big enough toll where yep. you're, you're done. So, but this one took a big piece, he said. So something she saw was, was really bad. Um, and like I said earlier, we get to see Carolyn reaching out for help. She was actually at that lecture that you just mentioned, uh, which is really cool. Cause now you're like, yes, like <laughs> they're doing something about it. Like she's got interest. She's got, you know, she's, you know, taking a stand for, whatever the hell is going on there. So you see her. And then after uh, we, I'm trying to, let me see if I can find him quick. Yeah. Drew, we actually get introduced to Drew. Who's a part of, you know, the Ed and Lorraine Warren crew, investigative crew, um, a young kid. I don't know how old he is. I don't know if they ever say or what he, if he's just doing this full time or I'm assuming, but I don't know. And he's like, Hey, I got someone here for you to meet. And it's Carolyn. And basically just begging for help and like i said earlier too this is a moment where ed was like actually you know we gotta we gotta go do something or we gotta get going and then she's like no but i have a kid and i have five you know daughters and you have a daughter like you know how bad of a toll that would take if that's if this was happening to you and you know lorraine's giving loving heart was like of course like we, we can go help so really really cool kind of segue into you know, her going to that lecture and then, you know, literally begging for help. So very, very cool. Yeah. And then we, we end up at the house, like you said, with the, with the full crew ready to set up their equipment or yeah. whatever images they want to try to capture. They've got a lot of pretty legit equipment. They set up stuff in pretty much every single room with cameras. They even set stuff up outside by that old tree and by the pond. So they are pretty well set to truly get into investigating this and like you said i love that we're now bought in carolyn is doing something about it she wants to fight this thing it's really enjoyable to see for her to to step up and try to take control of what's going on and and to see lorraine contemplate but say you know what we're doing this we're doing this this is why we do this work we want to help people out that's always the end goal regardless of just how tragic the experience might be and do you notice too how like Roger doesn't seem the dad doesn't seem to be like fully invested in it yeah. right away? Definitely initially he was 
very skeptical yeah. of, of believing this. And of course he hasn't been there for some of the more recent scares that Carolyn experienced with the kids. He wasn't there for some of that. So he hasn't seen some of these moments that were really convincing for him. And we even have a scene there when they're setting up the, the camera by the tree and he's asking, you know, why are you, why are you putting this out here by the tree? He's like, Oh, some, uh, some demonic entity just got hung or hung theirself right by this tree. And then you see Roger sitting there like, okay, that's okay. That's, that's kind he, of like insane. awkwardly walks yeah. out from under it. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. Gives a little history buff to him there. Yep. Like, he looks up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to walk away. But uh, yeah, they yeah. were telling him that they, they could smell rotting flesh throughout the house. They also said that it was freezing, which we've mentioned before. They said that I found this interesting. The knocks that they were hearing were coming in threes and would stop at dawn, which Ed said to them was likely an insult to the to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I, I thought that yeah, was a really good little insight. The Trinity to, there. Yep, to what the, the knocks were signifying. Yeah. And they actually, now we get to learn more about the other side of things you know, with exorcisms is they actually need approved and, you know, they, they need it to be approved before, you know, cause a lot of stuff happens and to get anything approved for this one in particular, this case, it's got to be approved by the Vatican. Um, and that Roman Catholic Christianity, you know, religion, if you will. Um, and we get introduced to like the priest they're kind of in contact with, Actually, I think it's the same priest that blesses all of those, or not blesses, but, you know, walks around and, and secures that museum of all those haunted items. And, you know, we we get to learn, I think, a little bit more about Bathsheba now um, and, and the history a little bit of her, um, you know, and Ed, 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 you know, mentioned it too, how she was the one that hung herself on that tree and there's a scene I think now and correct me if I'm wrong, where we actually get to learn about some of the other entities that have lived there. You know, we already heard about Rory. We learned about a little bit about Bathsheba and there's a couple others. So do you want to kind of introduce them? Yes. So we talked about Bathsheba. She was Mm -hmm. hung. She hung herself out by that tree after murdering her, sacrificing her seven day old son, which is crazy. Absolutely shocking. And we also learned that her time of death was 3.07, which is what time the clocks were stopping at, which is also revealed by Ed and Lorraine as the witching hour, which (laughs) that reveal is so good because if you don't read about it prior, you have no idea as the audience. So when you hear that, you're like, oh, shit, here we go. (laughs) And we also have, so there was another family there. Uh, there was a, a a mom named Walk, Walker. Her last name was Walker. She lived during the 1930s with a boy named Rory, which we have talked about, who mysteriously disappeared in the woods. The mom killed herself in a cellar. And the farm has been subdivided and sold off for years. There was a, another boy who drowned in the pond and another woman who worked as a, a maid in one of the neighboring homes. She committed suicide. So there's been a lot right. of deaths that have took place with within the land not just in the house, but on the entire property. And that goes in line with what Bathsheba said before she hung herself about proclaiming love to Satan and cursing anyone who took their land. Yeah. And that's literally what I have noted and was just going to say, it's like all, all or any people who 
lived here got like that curse she placed originally on them like i'm gonna start messing with you and i'm not gonna spoil it yet but you know it involves the mothers of all of these you know families so um we actually get introduced to brad too who's like is he a local police officer or is he like a neighboring i can't remember how they introduce him exactly but or where he's from but he gets introduced and he's a cop that's gonna be i think he's just there for like security purposes isn't he yeah i think he's just a local cop i'm not 100 percent sure on that but yeah officer brad and i like his character mm-hmm. he does okay he is mm-hmm. one of the ones especially that is very very skeptical of what's going on here he's it takes oh. him a long time to believe in what's going the on most skeptical yes the most skeptical he is probably yep <laughs> for sure and i like the scenes as well having everybody there getting all the equipment set up they had another good soundtrack going during those scenes which lets you kind of let loose a little bit as the audience kind of relax a little bit before things start rolling again so there there was some good parts there getting all the equipment set up we've got the whole gang here now ready to fight this thing that was all really well done yeah that whole setting up equipment scene was actually dope like yeah you put yourself back in that time and it's like that's how they did it compared to like, you know, today's stuff. If mm-hmm. anybody's watched any like ghost adventure shows or paranormal things, it's like the equipment we have today is insane compared to what they used back then. So like seeing them just like, and Drew, you've been like rigging stuff up. It's old vintage stuff. Love it. It's awesome. I I love that. It, get, it, it gets me excited talking about it every time. Mm-hmm. So, and like you mentioned, the 307 time is, you know, there, um, and they there's a scene after that too where it's like they have this kitchen scene where they're making breakfast and it's like things are looking up now and everyone's like happy that ed and lorraine are there they're like a protective shield the cops there too like you know and i think carolyn's like i haven't i haven't seen this you know type of energy in like so long like everyone's just like so happy there's no negativity They don't feel shadowed by anything like they can breathe. Like I love, I love this scene. I I loved how they implemented it. Yeah. Again, it lets you let loose a little bit and to care about these people more. So these are actual normal people trying to live their lives. And it's just so relieving to them to know that they've got somebody here to help them. And you feel that sense of security a little bit when they're all at the breakfast table, not having to worry about anything lurking in the shadows it's bright out you can see all the corners so your level of being frightened or worried goes down very much so so great scenes i also wanted to touch on the night before when they're after they get everything set up with the equipment i love that ed sets up all the crosses throughout the house and he tells them that he sets them all up because he knows it pisses the demons off and it gets them activated (laughs) i love that i thought that was a cool little little line there but yes we have the breakfast scene and pretty much right after that we have Carolyn saying that she's a little bit sick. She's not feeling well. She's going to go lay down. So we then have Ed and Lorraine out back putting up laundry on the clothesline. And it starts to get really stormy and the wind starts picking up and the sheets start kind of flailing in the wind. And then all of a sudden, one of the sheets pulls off the clothesline and boom, attaches to a form, almost a human form and and the rain is out there to see that very good scare very good jump scare oh, yeah. watching that the first time i did not see that coming of course 
just goes to show the ingenuity when it comes to the scares here. Just yeah. really well done. She glances up, and what does she see, Justin? Is it Carolyn or I can't remember who it was. Honestly, I was it Carolyn. It was Bathsheba. Or Bathsheba. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was going to be one of those two. And um, Carolyn. I do remember room. that. I do remember the scene though. I don't remember who was in the window, but I vividly remember the like silhouette of a person yep. in that bed sheet. And then yeah, it hits the window on the house. But, yep. Ugh. Yeah. So good. And after seeing Bathsheba, now Carolyn is sleeping, and we actually get an insane like close up shot of her like literally levitating horizontally like above her and enters Carolyn through like I don't even know how you want to explain it like her it's like blood or puke or something that like enters in like through her and they like transfer that Bathsheba transfers that into Carolyn it's really hard to describe especially for anyone listening that has seen it like it's they know but it's it's like it's really hard to describe so and like carolyn like screams and it like cuts it's just yep. such a good way to like now for the audience to know like oh my god like she's actually this is happening like she's she, it's in carolyn the third stage is very well underway after that part yeah <laughs> yep so let's see what do we got um I think now we get to see, yeah, so that happened in Lorraine. Lorraine's exorcism story is brought up again. And, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's always good just like touching up on some of that stuff because it does affect these characters in such a, you know, dramatic way. And we get to see like Ed explaining it again, just how like, you know, that really has affected her because there's a few times where he is like, I'm doing this by myself, like stay back. And we actually just get to see a good binding moment. You know, like I think Lorraine to put it vaguely is like, uh, why did we, you know, when we got married, like, what did you tell me? Like, you know, we were brought together for a reason. Like, this is it, this, you know, and we learn that later when like shit really hits the fan. Like, this is why they got brought together. This is why they do what they do. I'm not do you're not doing this by yourself even if it takes a toll on me like I'm going to be with you basically. So I really love that. In the rain even Ed reveals to I don't remember if he's talking to Roger but he reveals to to whoever he's talking to that the rain after I think the exorcism we see in one of the lecture halls with the French Canadian farmer we learned that Lorraine took it so hard that she locked herself in her room for eight days and would barely eat or drink anything. So that just goes to show just how deep of an impact that sh that had on Lorraine after that exorcism. Eight days, eight days, Good man. Point. Yeah. I like how you brought that up because like I said, it affects these little things affect them very dramatically. But we get a scene with Brad and Drew and I think one of them offers some coffee. I think Brad offers some coffee. He's like, no, I'm good. Brad goes and gets some coffee. And he hears the wind chime kind of rattling and no one's out there. And he's kind of peeking, doing, you kind of see the cop him and cop in him come out a little because he's, you know, investigating, looking around. And he runs into, uh, I think the woman that committed suicide that's dressed up as a maid. Uh, he sees her kind of in the side room by the kitchen area you know, after getting his coffee and 
there's a really good jump scare. I forgot what she said a line. I can't remember it. Look what you made I, me do. I think look what you made me do. Yep. I was going to say something like that. Yep. Um, and he like falls down. He's like, Ed, Ed, he's like screaming for him. And they all come running in. He's like, whoa, whoa what? And he explains pretty much what I just said. But then a lot starts happening. Here. A lot happens there. A lot. And I love that with the the scenes with Brad it feels like you're so isolated with Brad. You, I kind of forgot that the yeah. family was even in the separate room. You felt so isolated. And I think that brings out the fear for what Brad's going through. You definitely experienced that. And yeah, I forgot they were even in the other room. So then you get them to come in. And then, like you said, we have a lot of pretty crazy scenes that are coming up here. Yeah. Do you want to follow up with what happens right after that? Because it involves Cindy walking around and they actually are able to like catch some evidence here yes so did the girl's hair get pulled before that one of the daughters it might have mm, been before that i think it's after or okay, was it so uh, actually eh, now that you say that regardless say that it's after but so cindy she ends up walking up the stairs and the family notices Cindy, where are you? Where are you going? Like, why is she just walking out of the room and up the stairs? She doesn't say a word. The camera in the hallway clicks. So the camera picked up something. And Officer Brad's like, well, I mean, she's just walking by. Of course, it's going to pick her up. And that explains, no, if that goes off, it means there's something there, not just the human presence. There is an entity that is in another realm that is following her as she's going up the steps. I freaking love that. She walks up the stairs. I believe that she goes to, let's see, I think she goes to one of the rooms, I believe. And I she says that Roy is with her. Or something. Yep. Yeah. Rory is with her and he says, this is where I hide, is the, the sound that she's hearing or the person that's whispering to her. We assume right. is Rory. She ends up by the armoire, that standing closet. The family ends up coming to see what's going on. We have the UV light, which is another smart little thinking scene there where ed pulls out the uv light he kind of checks the floor with the lights off to see if he sees footprints he sees handprints and footprints leading up to the standing closet he, he checks inside and he sees these handprints kind of go up into the top corner almost of this closet there's nowhere else to go so he ends up thinking smart smart thinking he takes he rips off pieces of the closet he ends up finding that there is a boarded up hole in the wall and behind that boarded up piece, they find a backwards little area behind the walls where you can crawl between. Where yeah, it's like is, a crawl space. Assumed, yep, a crawl space, which is assumed to be the hiding spot that Rory used. Yeah, and you you get to see like some of the toys in there, the the music, uh, circus music box, mm -hmm. and actually like the rope <laughs> that had a noose tied onto it, like that it was going to be used to hang someone, which is creepy. And actually Lorraine falls through the floor mm -hmm. all the way down to the basement, which is totally like, if you're watching this for the first time, totally unexpected, like, but granted the house, like it could happen, you know, it's an old house and a place where no one really walks. So yeah, I'm assuming the boards would probably be pretty weak. And, um, we get to see uh, Lorraine kind of have a horrible, horrible time in the basement now. It's like, it's dark. It's one-on-one -on -one with Bathsheba at this point. And she's now encountering her and she's actually 
she explained i think she explains how the the mothers of all of these families have you know Bathsheba takes part in it and where she pretty much possesses all the the moms to do these horrible things that actually kill and sacrifice like their children um I don't know if you kind of want to branch off of that or what, but it's, it's a pretty monumental moment in the movie because it backs up, you know, all of these like side characters we get to meet with, with the generations that have been there before. Yeah. That, that scene where she's going back in the crawl space behind the standing closet and she falls through, man, she drops, like she's dropping two floors down to the freaking cellar it's disorienting for the audience and for her. And that just adds to the level of fear you feel once you're in the cellar. It's dark. She can't see crap. She's seeing things. Like you said, she's going toe to toe at this rate with Bathsheba. Really good scenes. It, it, it For her, again, she is feeling isolated in this moment. She's on her own. The people haven't came downstairs to help her yet. Very good scenes. Very scary. Yeah, they're, they're trying to find her. And actually, when she falls, I think she runs into the woman, the mom that actually had rory mm-hmm. that like drowned yep and it, it's like it's kind of like this heavier set mom and like the makeup on this like looked phenomenal on mm-hmm. on this character and again we hear why did she make me do it or mm-hmm. why did she make me do that and that's when i said earlier like you know all the moms do this she she possesses them to kill their children so it makes sense that they're always like, why did she make me do this? Like this horrible act, this horrible thing that they would have no intention ever of doing, but you know, being under the possession, obviously. Yes. Um, and I actually have in my notes now, this is where Nancy actually gets thrown across the room. So this must have happened after that. When you, when you mentioned that, um, this actually happened in real life. This, this scene that I'm going to be talking about, um, terrifying absolutely terrifying uh nancy gets thrown across the room being in the movie i don't know how it was in real life but i just know she was thrown but in the movie she's actually getting pulled by her hair um goes like 20 feet across the other side of the room like breaks glass falls to the ground and then gets dragged to like another side of the room and that's when lorraine actually gets a snips or scissors and cuts her hair and kind of She's able to like chill for like just a second <laughs> after that. Thoughts like that's a huge scene in this movie. Huge just scene to see the entity actually take hold of these people, these family members, and throw them around like a like a rag doll is it's so frightening because you realize that anybody here can get killed. This this entity is oh, yeah. actually grabbing you and tossing you around. It wouldn't take much for them to throw something at you and kill you. So you are feeling the level of insecurity as a family member is that I could freaking die here. And it yeah. is getting just chaotic. I would just describe those scenes as chaotic for sure. What do you do? How do you react to this? And one little thing that happened right after that, that I, I just love such a cool moment. Ed turns to drew and he's like, did you get that? And he's, <laughs> he's like, we got it. <laughs> Cause Again, if you remember, they are collecting the whole reason why they're there is because they're collecting evidence to send up all the way through eventually to like the Vatican to get an exorcism approved. All of these hauntings, all the equipment they set up, it's all to capture evidence to do an exorcism, to get it approved. It's just the way it is. Um, And 
yeah, really, really cool shot there with Drew. He's like, yep, I got it. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yeah. And Father Gordon had said initially that we need evidence here and it needs to go to the Vatican because the family is not Catholic. So he wasn't able to just go out there and do that himself. He had to get the approval from the Vatican. Yep. And so, I think they're, none of them are baptized either. None of them are baptized as well. Yeah. So he really needed to get that approval from the Vatican. Yeah. And we actually get to see. So after that, all that crazy shit going on, we get to see the parent family actually packing up and they're, they're going away. They're going, is it a hotel or just a little inn that they're going in, yep. I think. And, you know, they're, they got the evidence. So they're getting out of the house now. Like they got what they need. They're going to get out and, you know, they'll go back as soon as, you know, they get approval basically at this point. So they're all just like bundled up in here. And, uh, Lorraine gets this weird feeling now, and she's able to do this about, you know, she gets this weird feeling about her daughter, Judy. Uh, I think she's actually just standing on the dock by the river and she sees Judy floating through there, like a corpse, like a dead mm-hmm. corpse. And she runs back to the house. She calls, is it her mom? Cause Judy calls her grant or Nana, Nana, I think. It might've been her mom. I'm Lorraine's not entirely mom. sure there. That's a good guess um, though. I would assume, but she calls and she's like, just is Judy. Okay. Like check up on her. Like, she's like, I'll explain it later. And she's like, I'm sorry for freaking out. But, and Ed's there and he's like, what the hell's going on? Like, tell me. And she's like, I got a bad feeling. She's like, this is a warning. It has to be a warning. And that again, bites him later in the butt uh, with another scene with Judy. So we could probably go right off of that. Yeah. By the time the Warrens get back to their house, Judy is up and about and she's seeing things. So this demonic entity is able to actually go from different places and attach itself to different items. If it's able to connect to a human in some way. So Bathsheba is literally able to transport to the Warren's house and she starts haunting Judy. Judy ends up going into one of the side rooms And what she sees is a pretty freaking frightening scene. She sees Bathsheba, just the back side of Bathsheba, rocking in an old chair. Oh, my gosh. Brushing brushing the Annabelle doll. How disturbing was that? Oh, my gosh. Like, those two things together in the same room alone, but, like, in a rocking chair, might you add. Man. And they get they get home right in time, Ed and Lorraine do to to help Judy and to keep her safe. So Judy's fine after that. But those are some really good scenes. There's something about when you have a child that obviously is completely helpless to these things. It really oh, just yeah. builds that that fear for for those types of scenes. I tell you what. Yeah, I I just to cap that off too, dude. Like I that scene was incredible because you didn't like you didn't know if you're actually going to see Annabelle again or not too. Mm-hmm. That's another thing to think about. And they actually brought her back for a good scene with <laughs> Bathsheba. So um, we get to see Annabelle, I think right at the end too, in their museum, but very, very cool scene. And during that actually too, like the rocking chair starts moving and like gets thrown, but Ed's able yes. to like, oh. protect her at the last second too. So like this thing is violent. Like we knew that, but now like, dude, we get to see some real shit going on with it. Like this is really, really violent. So 
Absolutely destructive. Absolutely destructive when you see a chair get flung like that as fast as it is. I mean, if she gets hit by that, she's getting seriously hurt. So <laughs> I tell you what, and we have them at the house. And then we also have the the family that went to the hotel there. We can see that Carolyn is very, very much struggling. She just does not look like herself. She looks strange. She's acting strange. No emotion. Yep. Yeah. They The kids actually call... I think they call Ed and they're like, Hey, Carolyn just left with Christine in April. And obviously knowing before Lorraine put together like two and two, like the mother is possessed and you know, she sacrifices the child. And Ed's like, I think he calls uh, Roger and he's like, Hey, everyone get back to the house and meet up there. Cause, and we get a scene with her driving and the kids are like, mom, are you okay? And she's just like, thousand yard stare stare, doesn't say anything just driving home very very creepy so we're getting to the point now where the whole you know big bang is going to come like this is probably you know the best part of the movie and that's just how it goes with these yeah that's a true final act that we work our way up to yep when we have carolyn going back with the kids to the house to sacrifice and we have everybody trying to meet back up in time to save the kids those those scenes when they're breaking into the house are freaking awesome. I love the we have the conjuring soundtrack in the background. Officer Bragg comes up with his shotgun, get out of the way, Dude. walks up the steps, bow, pops off the door lock with his shotgun. Everybody rushes in. It gets you locked in right in the zone for these these final scenes. God, I freaking it's, love that. It's almost like opera music when he shoots that yeah. block off the door and they go in. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh my so gosh. Good. Yeah. Oh oh. It's it's incredible. Um but now we get to see Carolyn possessed. She's like in the basement and we get a insane scene. She's got these like huge snips and I think Roger or someone's holding her back but she's like you know, <laughs> she's like inches away from if it's if this hand slips like this is, scissors is going right into yep. one of the kids. Uh but we figure out uh April actually escapes and she goes and hides while i think it's christine is the other one that's with her i think so uh she's kind of got her held hostage for the moment but they're able to kind of get things under control if you will and they get a bed sheet over uh carolyn they strap her to a chair um which is not bolted down she eventually you know, she's getting, I don't even know how to describe this, dude. I love talking about it, but it's just like, you hear the sounds coming out of her, the room shaking, everything flying off the walls, the bed sheet, the blood coming out, uh, the the bed sheet actually ripping. Rip. He's like, reveal yourself. And it rips and you get to see that Sheba's face. Then it goes kind of back to Carolyn's like, yeah, her face, her face like transforms in those scenes. It's so yeah. unsettling. And I love that. There's a moment of of decision there for Ed where he thinks to himself, we got to do this thing now. Like I have to do the exorcism. I don't care if I'm not. The well priest can't rehearsed. get there in time yep. too. I don't care if I'm not technically supposed to be doing it. We have to do it now. There is no time to waste. It is urgent. So him taking up the the Bible and getting into it and deciding to take matters into his own hands was really good really tense. He starts saying all the Bible verses and 
the look that Carolyn has when she's possessed is so frightening. And like I said, the face transforming back and forth. She's got the sheet on her, the rip down the sheet and the blood kind of spewing out. Oh my God. They couldn't have done that a whole lot better. And there's, there's exorcism movies that do okay, but this, you should study this scene if you want to make a good exorcism scene. My God. Literally take notes, everybody. <laughs> it's like, my God. And she starts levitating even. Yeah, she levitates and in the chair. It's cool because he's reading the prayer and it gets super quiet. Like not a like you could hear a pin drop. Yep. And then you get a close up of her like feet and it just dude starts levitating. She goes upside down onto the ceiling, strapped <laughs> in a chair. Insane. Insane. And during actually during this whole time too, we have Drew actually like on a manhunt for April, um, trying to find her. And he, he he gets like a crowbar or something or a tool, breaks out the floor and he's like, I found her. She's underneath in she's in the walls underneath the kitchen. And uh while Carolyn was levitating, Ed says, release her. She drops, breaking out of the chair. So while Drew says that, she's like free to go. She's like nothing's holding her back. Mm-hmm. She hears Drew. And we get this, oh, I, I just hate the, like, it creeps me out. But, like, she's crawl like, running around on all fours through that crawl space. Like, it is terrifying, dude. Absolutely just, terrifying. Her movements, her makeup, the way she's, like, dude, it's, it's insane. And everyone at this point is scattering, uh, trying to, like, get to her first before... You know, if you want to say about Sheba or Carolyn, either one, because um, she we get a scene, too, where Drew says that she grabs a scissors. So she's got a weapon. And I think at this point, the way the movie did this to really, if you want to say, exercise this demon is to use its own name. And, you know, they learned that earlier that it's Bathsheba. And right before like carolyn grabs april and literally about to kill her and he's like bashiba and this side we get a side shot of her face and then like that you know what i'm talking about it's that close-up of her face for like one or two seconds on screen like screaming insane it goes and- to show that that was not carolyn in those moments at all that was absolutely positively Bathsheba in her body and you see that with her face turning into Bathsheba there so freaking well done and and Lorraine has a moment to also kind of touch the head of of Carolyn through the floor the hole in the floor that Drew had ripped out and she's kind of there too trying to remind her of the good days that they had at that beach one of the pictures they had of the family at the beach and she's trying to remind her of that and yes, it gives it gives Ed some time to act. The demon is distracted. He uses Bathsheba's name. Mm-hmm. He's got her. He says, I banish you back to hell. And boom, that's that's pretty much how we exercise the demon there. Yeah, I think he's like, in the name of Jesus Christ, I condemn you back to hell. And there's a mo there's a moment, you know, that scene like the sun kind of hits her face and she's looking up. Lorraine is actually able to get her hand on her head. Yep. And she's like, you got to fight this thing. Like, remember the day you're at the beach? And that's actually a photo they had earlier in the movie where they, you know, talked about it, where they had a really good time. 
there and it's something that you know reflect back on through tough times i think and it's like you know she's almost battling now she's on the brink of winning and she's like battling with Bathsheba. and you know she wins she gets like on all fours coughs out that same crap that entered her when she got possessed originally and you know the sunlight hits her face and it's like this war is now over and mm -hmm. she won um really really cool scene and they get her outside the sun hits her all of her bruises go away she's back to normal and you know all things end well pretty much you know um with an exorcist type of movie like this you either complete it or you don't like or something really bad goes wrong and they're actually able to complete it so really really cool stuff yeah no one dies here either in the family which is cool to see right there usually is expected to be some casualties but everybody made it out alive regardless of whether you had the bruises or the cuts. So that's cool to see the family be able to repair themselves and move on from this incident. And the real life story from what I was reading about, this family, after they left that house, they never had any issues with any kind of haunting again. So I just thought I'd touch on oh, that. I yeah. didn't know that. Yep. And we end up with the, the ending scenes there with, I believe it was Ed. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. So let's see. With Ed. I think he, he was in the occult room, he, the museum. Yeah, he goes, yeah, we get a shot of him and he's actually got the music, circus music box and, you know, slides over something else, makes a nice little spot for it. And we just, we get that close up of it opened with the music going like someone turned it and, it, you know, the little, the little mirror in there and mm -hmm. a still shot of it. The music just slowly ends and boom, like that's not yeah, really that's... a jump scare, but just very cool how you take a piece of that home and you bring it to your museum, you know, cause that's what they do. So to have that was, was really awesome. And I think to hear the music go off, I think signifies too, that the entity is contained, but it is not nullified. It is still there. It's just contained in this, but it is definitely, right. it's definitely still active. I love that. Yeah. yeah. They have a good closing credit quote there from Ed Warren that I thought was so, so freaking cool too diabolical forces are formidable these forces are eternal and they exist today the fairy tale is true the devil exists god exists and for us as people our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow i freaking chills. love that that's chills dude oh, so good. and even like the post uh credit scenes like the way they had that they they implemented like real photos of the family very very cool like if you guys finish the movie anyone listening like watch that because you get to see like real life pictures of the home the parents uh and Ed and lorraine too so yeah even if there's not a ending scene to lead into the next movie i just think sticking around for those post credits is is cool enough in itself just to see some of those real life pictures it adds to to the phenomena yeah. that was yeah well is it time for the ratings it is time. I think, I think it is. All right. I'll just do, let's just do this. I'm going to do Rotten Tomatoes and then me or you can go. It doesn't matter. But yep. Rotten Tomatoes gave this <clears throat> movie an audience score of 83%. Okay. Really good. And a critic score of 86%. So really, when I first saw this, 
how many, you know, I can't name many, but how many horror films have a critic score higher than the actual audience score? Not very often. I don't think it's often. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think it's very often. I feel like if you have a really bad horror movie, one of the most recent ones we did was Five Nights at Freddy's. The audience score was insane, but the critic score was terrible. Again, because it's just a movie like, oh, like a lot of audience members like, but when you break it down as a critic, it's that wasn't good. This movie is it's basically even. I'm not, you know, technically it's higher, but I'm gonna say it's you know even. So yeah, I, I loved how you know it was just rated so high, knowing, you know, just watching this, I knew it was gonna be high. And you know, I'm glad to see it, you know, in the mid mid eighties. That's really, really crazy and you know, phenomenal for a horror movie. Yeah, it just goes to show how well made this was and how no corners were cut. They they took their time on this and they had a really good story to build off of. The real life story of Ed and Lorraine is so good to go off of for making films. And we've seen the success they've had with this, this Conjuring universe of the Ed and Lorraine files. There's so much to go off of. And eventually you might have to start making up your own stories, but my God, you have a really good baseline to go with here in the conjuring. And we've seen the success that it's led to. Right. So you want to give your rating or you want me to give mine? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead. Overall cohesive plot, solid acting all around the setting. I don't think you get a whole lot better than the setting. The house was freaking perfect. I, I mean, I can't complain at all about that. The rich, deep history here of the hauntings and the possessions all the tie-ins to past people, such as the Salem witch trials, even going that far back, just added so much to this to this story and to this film as a whole. The scares were fantastic. They were well-timed. They were creative. They weren't your typical horror trope scares. You had a lot of great exorcism moments in the end that were actually genuinely, truly frightening. And again, if you're an exorcist, if you're making an exorcist film, you got to look at these scenes because they did it so well. And to hear the scores is kind of in line with what I'm going to go with here. I don't think my opinion is going to change. My initial reaction is an eight, nine, and I am staying with the eight, nine. I cannot wait to rewatch this again in the future. I'm stoked. We came back to it. Eight, nine. Okay. There you have it. I, I love, you know, I love that score. It's, Perfect, I think, for this movie. Uh, this movie, to me, personally, you know, just scares the hell out of me. It's, like you said, the setting, it doesn't have a huge cast. You're able to, you know, at times you kind of get lost with some things. Not really, though. It, You know, if anything, the daughters, there's five of them. So and they're, it seems like they're all the same age, but they're not. So you kind of get just, you know, a little lost with that. But I don't have really anything to nitpick with this. This movie flows perfectly for how it's set up. And you you get to learn the history of it. Ed and Lorraine, these real life events, the the backstory on the fam some of the other families that live there. And you don't let you don't get left scratching your head like, why was this there? Why why did that happen? Type of thing. Like everything flowed on edge three-fourths of the movie it's like scene after scene after scene something is happening and it progressively just gets better there's not a moment where it plateaus or goes downhill it is straight up and you know for that reason i'm giving it a 9.3 
highly, so, highly respectable. And yeah. I'm going to have to look at my list of horror films I've watched. I don't know that many that are much better than this. Like you say, you can nitpick at stuff, but there really isn't a whole lot to nitpick anyhow. So, <laughs> And, you know, with Halloween just kind of getting over, I have seen it twice now in like the past month. Incredible. It, you know, is one of those movies that is never going to get yeah. old. To lose to lose zero love for it after rewatching multiple times just goes to show the level of quality for sure. Yeah, with the franchise based things based on real life events, how do you not love this? Mm -hmm. And I think most people would agree. Uh, if you're not a fan of it, hey, you got your opinions. We got ours. You know, we just do this podcast to inform everyone our thoughts and opinions, and and you know, educates people on stuff. So, um, you know. We love doing it. I'm glad we did this over the conjuring. Um, you know, I think we actually debated doing this actually for like the Halloween special potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, just because of that scare factor. It's such a huge thing with scratching the surface is that scare factor. I love getting scared. I love being placed in that setting, almost feeling like you're in the movie. It's it's incredible. God, this was a fun one. I loved talking the conjuring with you. And I look forward to the next episode. We'll be kind of up in the air probably in the next week, I would assume. What movie we talk about, we're not 100% sure on yet, but we will have something good for you guys. Yeah. We, we try to like to surprise you guys. I know with Halloween and stuff, we, we you know, try to, you know, at least have you to look forward, you know, to something. Uh, but stay tuned. We do like to do this on a weekly basis, maybe 10 days out. but. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, go check out our YouTube page, uh, our channel. Give us a rating on Spotify. If you haven't, listen to the other episodes. Get a feel for our introduction. Uh, Junes and I just love doing this. We love reviewing really, really good movies, ones that come out, ones we've seen, um, highly rated ones, maybe mid ones. Who knows? We we each got a feel of what we like, and we just like you know expressing that and you know, we get to learn more things about each other too on, on in the horror genre. So I, I love it. And it's, it's absolute blast. So make sure to check those things out again. My name is money and I'm so glad to be here with Junes. So we want to thank you again. And this has been scratching the surface.